0: In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua, but Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at DiscoverPuertoRico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hi, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from afar media. I'm your host, Deputy Editor Aislin Green. I don't know about you, but I am finally beginning to dip my toes back into the travel waters. For example, I recently took my first flight in nearly two years, which took me to Alaska. Getting back out in the world, it really just makes me want to travel more. So, lucky for us, the creative folks I've worked with over the past seven years, comedians, philosophers, novelists, they feel the same way. So each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from one of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. Ready? Let's go. Ready to hear a tale from comedian Michelle Buteau? I know I am, because we all need a few more laughs these days. Michelle, for those who aren't familiar, is an actress and comedian known for her outspoken and playful humor. You might have seen her Netflix special, Welcome to Butopia. She's also the host of the new Discovery Plus show, Weekend Getaway with Michelle Buteau. But we decided to ask her about international travel. Because remember when you were young and naive and would do anything for love or lust? including travel to foreign cities. In this tale, we go with Michelle to Paris at age 19, where she and her best friend were supposed to meet some French boys at the base of the Eiffel Tower, but the meeting didn't exactly go as planned.
1: So my trip to Paris doesn't start in Paris. I met one of my best friends, Cynthia, in Miami in college, and we became fast friends. We were both in a TV production class where we were the only two girls in a sea of boys. And all those boys wore a lot of black T-shirts and just wanted to be like the next Spielberg. A boring, a basic. And Cynthia and I, we just wanted to produce fun content and be cute and popular. And so right away, I was like, wow, we're going to be good friends. P.S. We're still friends to this day, by the way. We both had jobs while we were going to school. I worked at the mall in retail, and she worked at a bank. It's very important to have friends in your life that are good at math and have all the red lollipops. So when Cynthia and I got our first income tax check, we were like, we should take a trip, and we went to Cancun. That's right, honey. We spent our whole check and stayed at one hotel that was all-inclusive, and I'm just like, we have these pink bracelets, and we get to eat eggs and drink tequila. This is how real women do stuff. We were 19. But I'm like, this is how I want to do things all the time. So we decided, you know what? We're going to take trips. We're going to be those b- We're going to see the world. We're going to wear the same cool pair of Levi's button-down jeans and go to all the little vintage shops and buy shirts that smell like 1967 and rent a bike and just do our thing. That's right. We look like two little Lisa Bonet's and Lenny Kravitz. I was the Lenny Kravitz because I have the broadest shoulders. Our next trip, we went to Spain. And you know what? That was an interesting trip for me because I didn't really feel connected to the people of Spain. They sort of looked at me like, what in the Washington Heights is going on? Truly, I'd walk down the street and people's faces looked at me and I could see their faces thinking like, what is this big-titty Puerto Rican American that doesn't even speak Spanish doing here? I mean, yes! I have big titties. No, I'm not Puerto Rican. Yes, I do look Puerto Rican because I'm light-skinned. Why? Because of colonialism. What, is that too soon? Sorry, Spain. Okay, look, I should have learned some Spanish, some basic Spanish before I went there, but they don't even really speak Spanish. They speak Catalan, right? So it wouldn't even matter. (laughs) Okay, it would matter, because I do love orange juice. And naranja is really hard to say when you're hungover. But Cynthia speaks fluent Spanish, so it was really fun to be with her. Did I mention that she had the red lollipops? And I will say, Cynthia and I felt very exotic. I mean, we would get every nationality except for the ones that we actually are, but we just went with it. And we were just hooking up with boys left and right, Writing poetry, going to parks, kicking balls, playing flutes, doing all this stuff. Having mate tea out of like a weird teeny tiny coconut with a metal straw that tasted like tuberculosis. How do they drink that stuff? Finally, we were cute and popular. One night, we met these French guys in Spain. You know, they're cool and laid back and dirty, but not too dirty. You know, just a dollop of dirty. A dollop of do ya, you know? Like, they definitely haven't washed your jeans in a while, but you know they look like they definitely had a home with a bed that had sheets on it. My guy, Pierre, was taller and had dark hair, and he sort of looked like Joaquin Phoenix and Leo DiCaprio had a baby, but also an Indian mom. I don't know. Is that what gypsies look like? I can't describe it any other way because he also had, like, these piercing green eyes and very olive skin. He kind of looked like that chick on the cover of National Geographic. You get it. I want to say his name was Pierre. I can't really remember. I want to say Cynthia's dude was ATN. Again, did I just watch the beach? I did. It's a nice French name. What can I say? But back to Pierre. He was so skinny. He looked like he was cold all the time, and my body was a temperature mattress he was ready to lay on. He had a very big Adam's apple, but I didn't even know that because he had a scarf around it all the time. And I remember when he took that scarf off and I saw that Adam's apple. I said, oh! I feel tempted, this is some First Testament Is my name Eve? And I just remember looking up and seeing his Adam's apple and every time he swallowed, it moved. I was like, this is so adults. Pierre and Etienne became our vacation boyfriends that week. We'd hold hands and ride bikes and whisper sweet nothings into each other's ear and Pierre definitely needed to clean his ears. When we were getting ready to leave, we realized that we were going to miss each other. We're like, we have to see each other again. You know, this could be true love. And this was before MySpace and Facebook. So truly the only way to stay in touch with someone was by writing a letter and then strapping that letter to a pigeon or a three-eyed raven. Those were your choices. And so when Cynthia and I came back from Spain, we just looked at each other and we're like, are those our French boyfriends? Are we going to have French citizenship? Are we going to move to Paris and figure out how to make bread and just, you know, ride the Metro with a little baguette under our arms? Like, who are we going to be? Am I going to be the big titty Amelie? Maybe. During that semester, we couldn't stop thinking about them. And mind you, I can't even really remember their names right now. I'm sure it's Pierre and Etienne. Why wouldn't it be? But I realize now you always have a vacation version of yourself when you meet someone, you know? But I didn't know that back then. I really thought these guys were our Prince Charming. You know, they would always get the next round and, oh my God, just again whisper these French nothings in my ear. And they were probably saying, like, I just ordered a beer. I have to go to the bathroom. I don't know what they were saying. All I know is that it sounded very good. And so Cynthia and I became pen pals with Pierre and Etienne. Cynthia and I actually wrote them in French. We would try to figure out what to say together. And, I mean, imagine crafting a whole letter to somebody that you've met for, like, five days in another country. It was really hard work. And then Cynthia and I would walk that letter to the post office, wait in line to buy stamps, because there's no machine to buy stamps from. I mean, this was an old-school kind of love. This was our Bronx tale. Pierre and ATM would write us back, and they always said the perfect things. You know, if we missed them, they missed us more. If we were thinking about them, they were thinking about us all the time. And then finally, Pierre, whatever his name was, was like, Do you and Cynthia want to come see us? We have to see each other again. My heart can't go on. I was like, What in the Titanic is going on? And I looked at Cynthia. I'm like, We have no money. How are we going to get to Paris? What should we do? And then she looked at me and she's like, Oh, We gotta get money. So like I said, Cynthia and I were going to school for TV production, and a lot of people would check cameras out and other equipment to shoot stuff for homework. But we would take our cameras out and shoot little videos for little Argentinian bands or Haitian rappers in South Beach, and we would put together a video and present it as homework, but also sell the video. So we made money. We had our own little low-budget production company called Daily Own Productions. That's right, honey. We found the money to go to Paris. We were like Jennifer Lopez and the Hustler, but without the six-pack and um, the pole. So now that we have the money, we have to buy a ticket to go to Paris. And mind you, Paris was way more expensive than Spain for whatever reason. And I knew early on, that I could not do a connecting flight. Like, I cannot be traveling for 27 hours, okay? Because I'm going to be like James Franco in that movie and cut my arm off and start eating it. So I went to a travel company, like a whole actual place that has paper tickets and brochures. I know this sounds like 1972, but just go with me because I age well. And I talked to a travel agent. I think her name was Esther for way too long. She was so sweet and she had all these little white dogs that would sit on her lap. Esther explained to me that I could get a flight on Air India to Paris for like two or three hundred bucks because what they do is they stop to fuel the plane in Paris and then keep it going to, I don't know, somewhere in India. Keep up. And I was like, you know what, Esther? I'm going to do it. finally it's our big day to paris and we board air india and how can i describe air india Mm, it wasn't exactly like slumdog millionaire but it wasn't exactly not like it either i had a feeling that cynthia and i were the only ones actually going somewhere and everyone else was just going home you know which was cool man i'm cool everybody was beautiful the colors were popping i mean everyone was from like south southeast india i believe i don't know i asked there were a lot of fun spices i think i woke up at one point and a really cute old indian grandmother who could have been like 29 or 99 had her feet nestled under my thigh but i was like girl no but then it felt like good luck so i was like okay girl yes we got lots of food and drinks maybe every hour maybe every 30 minutes i don't know Nobody sat down for takeoff or landing. And I watched a Bollywood movie the whole flight, and it never ended. And the flight was seven hours. Confusing. At one point, I looked at Cynthia. I was like, we're going to Paris, right? Because, you know, the first time you go to Paris with your friend, you're thinking, ooh, everyone's going to have a beret and a striped shirt on the plane. And we're going to talk about croissants and baguettes and going to the Louvre and the Jardin, and probably taking a in a hole in the ground. You know, real Parisian staff. But it wasn't that at all, you know? <laughs> Cynthia and I just shared our mango lassie and cheers, and it's like, well, we're going to Paris for some dirty d-t-. So we land in Paris, and we get to our hostel, which now I'm realizing why they call them hostels, because you feel hostile, you know? It looked like... An episode of Orange is a New Black. I'm like, are these rooms because you're punishing me? What is going on? We had to upgrade to have our own toilet. But mind you, there was no sink, just a toilet. So that was fun. So Cynthia and I unpacked. We found some Nerana in Paris, and we got this really long phone number on a piece of paper from the boys, and we could not wait to call Pierre and Etienne. The phone number must have been like 17 digits. I'm like, is this a phone number or are we like unlocking a vault at a bank? Confusing. We tried to call them on a public payphone. Wouldn't go through. We tried another phone. Wouldn't go through. We spent our first afternoon in Paris just going to public payphones. I don't know if it was sad or inspiring. It felt like we were in the amazing race, but we were getting nowhere. Finally, we asked our hostel manager who... Definitely looked like she was a French version of four non-blondes, just dreads everywhere, black clothes, black socks, you know, black nails. She was probably a vampire. I'm for sure certain that she wanted to drink my blood. I said, can you please help me call Etienne and Pierre? And she was like, cool, let's do it. And she called them and we got through. And it was amazing. It was like we won bingo at drag bingo night, you know? The boys answered the phone. They were so excited to hear us. We were so excited to hear them. They're like, hello, how was the flight? How are you doing? We cannot wait to see you. And we're like, yeah, dude, the same, man, cool. Did you know they don't have tequila in Paris? But whatever, this red wine is really hot. We have purple lips, let's hook up. And they said, absolutely. We cannot wait to see you guys. We missed you so much. Meet us in front of the Eiffel Tower tomorrow at 12 p.m. And we were like, oh, my God, the Eiffel Tower. Is this going to be a rose ceremony? We couldn't wait. So the next day, Cynthia and I were so excited to meet Pierre and Etienne at the Eiffel Tower. We wore our best, shortest dress we found in a Miami mall. Red lipstick. Because nothing says you like a boy than red lipstick on your teeth. No big deal. We go to the Eiffel Tower, and we wait in front and just look around nervously for about 30 minutes, and then an hour, and then two hours. We got a little hungry, so we went to go get a hamburger and come back, you know, McDonald's, because that's what you do when you're American in your 20s in Paris. You go to McDonald's, you know? I mean, the burgers did taste more French. (sighs) We waited some more, and then we got an ice cream cone and came back. Then we went through a whole roller coaster of emotions after three hours. And these moments were way too real. We were like, okay, they're late. That's really rude. All right. Then we were like, wow, they're not here. Do you think they're coming? Oh, my God. Do you think they're coming, though? And then it turned into, are they okay? I hope they're okay. I hope nothing happened because something could have happened to them. And then the sun went down, and it was nighttime, and we had been there all day. And we just looked at each other and we're like, I don't think they're coming at all. Like, we still think that they're not coming. They're definitely not coming, Michelle and Cynthia. And so Cynthia and I decided to go to a bar around the corner from the Eiffel Tower and we got really drunk on red wine, had purple teeth and purple lips, and ended up making out with some other French dudes. And then the next day we try to call them. Again. (coughs) And they answer their phone. And Etienne and Pierre are just like, Oh, I'm so sorry we did not come. You know, honestly, we did not even plan on coming. Um, We did not know that you would come to France. That's kind of weird. You know, ATN's girlfriend is pregnant, and my mother would not let me go to Paris. And then Cynthia and I just looked at each other like, y'all got somebody knocked up? So you live with your mom? I thought you had a roommate. The roommate's your mom? We looked at each other like, did we just pick these dudes? that are, like, basically the French Maury Povich episode? I mean, they live on the outskirts of Paris, right? But I didn't know they had to take multiple trains to get in. I mean, we just flew over an ocean, and y'all can't just make it work with, like, a handful of trains? <sighs> Cynthia and I just had a whole come-to-Jesus moment. This was our fried green tomatoes moment. This was the end of The Color Purple. We looked at each other, and we were like, wow. We flew across the ocean to try and meet up with losers. We had to take that in because, yeah, we did that. And it was at that time Cynthia and I made a little peck. For sure, we can't stop traveling. We're too good at it. We're fun, we're adventurous, people want to give us free drinks. We have to keep going, but we're going to be better at making decisions, especially when tipsy. Never again will we make a trip to meet a boy. Okay, we don't go somewhere to meet a boy. We take a trip and then we meet a boy. Yeah, and we also said that our husbands have to be friends so they can go on trips with us. And you know what? Cynthia and I are both married now, and we both have two kids. And our husbands are both white and aloof, and they're friendly with each other, so I guess we kind of did it. I love Paris. I do. I really do. I've done stand-up there. I've visited France multiple times with my family and my husband, and I have really great memories there. But every time I take that little boat past the Eiffel Tower, I just look at that dumb tower, and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right. That's where I got stood up. For a skinny boy with a big Adam's apple,
0: That was Michelle Bouteau. She hasn't been to Paris in the past year and a half, mostly because she's busy with various shows. She's also hosted two seasons of the Netflix game-slash-reality show The Circle and is trying to navigate life with her nearly three-year-old twins. Want more Bouteau? Check out her book, Survival of the Thickest, or follow her on social media at Michelle Bouteau. Finally, it's time for Tiny Travel Tales, when we hand over the mic to our listeners. Now we'll hear from Louise Trotter from Halifax, Nova Scotia.
2: Hello, my name is Louise Trotter, and this is my tiny travel tale that led me to become a passionate solo traveler. My decision to travel on my own on a trip to Wales wasn't a choice to experience solo travel, as it was a circumstance of my 15-year marriage ending, the type of ending that comes as a complete surprise. And never in my life did I see that coming, type of blow-your-socks-off, life-altering ending. And I wasn't worried about the traveling alone part, but I was worried about the feeling lonely part. I had felt lonely often since my marriage ended, And wasn't sure how I would fare in those moments being lonely and alone in another country. So I decided to plan my vacation itinerary like I'd never planned anything before, minimizing downtime to minimize potential lonely time. On the fifth day of my travels, my schedule was particularly ambitious, and it wasn't until I was being ushered out of Pembroke Castle, because it was closing time, that I realized it was late in the day. But my schedule was not complete, and next on my itinerary, I had planned a visit to St. Govan's Chapel. St. Govan was a 6th century hermit who established the cell for himself on what was described as a lonely spot within the cliffs that was rebuilt as a small chapel in the 13th century. I knew there were no formal admission times to the chapel, but access to the site through military land was limited, depending on whether or not the firing range was open or closed. Given that access to the chapel was uncertain, and it was already the end of a long day, I felt certain in that moment that if I was traveling with anyone else, the decision would be, without a doubt, to stop. But I wasn't traveling with anyone else. This was the moment that the decision to continue or not was entirely mine. So I promptly left the castle, navigated the driving route, and arrived at the entranceway to the road that cut through the military land. There were signs posted explaining the flag system indicating if there were active firing at the range that day, but it was hard to know for sure. So I stepped on the gas and gunned it across that field at breakneck speed. When I made it successfully to the other side of the military land, I parked in the designated area and found the pathway that led to 52 stone steps from the top of the cliffs down to the chapel. On the way down the steps you can see the roof of the tiny chapel and you arrive then at a little doorway on the north side to enter the chapel. It was humbling to be in this space with so much history but in order to get a true appreciation of its location you need to walk out of the interior south of the chapel and onto the ragged rocks to the edge of the cliffs. It's at that moment looking south watching a wave smashing up against the cliffs and the salt spray misting my face that i was in complete awe the view itself from the cliffs is spectacular and that alone was more than worth the visit to the site but then i turned around and looked behind me north to the small fissure in the cliffs where saint govin chose a life alone secluded establishing a cell and where the tiny chapel now stood standing on those cliffs between waves and a chapel Built on what seems the most inconceivable location, I had my moment. The moment when there is a surge of emotion about what is lost, but what could be gained. And recognizing that getting to this moment happened because of me, me alone, visiting the former home of a hermit at a lonely spot within the cliffs. Me alone feeling intense gratitude for the gloriousness of life me alone but not in the least bit lonely since then i've traveled solo to oman iran iceland ireland russia and i'm on a personal journey following a young nova scotian who in 1899 rode his bicycle around the world
0: That was listener Louise Trotter. Up next on her solo journey, she's retracing, in stages, the route of a young Nova Scotian named Carl who rode his bicycle around the world in 1899. In September, Louise will complete part of Carl's journey in North America. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash traveltales and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at afarmedia. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast is produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff, Jen Grossman, and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redman, Irene Wang, Angela Johnston, and Nina Gainsler Debs. I'm Aislinn Green, your semi-impatient travel-ready host. I can't wait to hit the road again and again. As we begin to explore the world once more, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?